0: Drive Time Radio with New York Vinny. And a very good Saturday morning to you, New York Vinny, hanging out with you here on Drive Time, right here on 1150 KKNW. We got a a packed show for you this Saturday morning. Thank you for taking the time to uh, stop by and listen about uh, cars and car culture. And, of course, uh, the big thing right now going on in Seattle is the Seattle Auto Show. We get a chance to, uh, right off the bat this morning, uh, spend some time with a good friend of mine, Tom Volk, who is uh, the spokesman for the Seattle Auto Show, as well as a guy who you may have seen once or twice in the parking lot of Costco, stuffing toilet paper into the back of one of his test cars. Tom, good morning. How are you? Goodie. Good to hear you. Good to hear your voice, too, my friend. Um, yeah. You are- this is a great gig for you. You get to talk about cars on the radio with people like me. Uh,
1: I couldn't think of anything better. I've been talking about cars for the last two days, so if my voice sounds a little hoarse, that's the
0: reason why. <laughs> yeah, same thing on this end, too. So let's talk about the show uh, today through the 17th at the CenturyLink Field Event Center. It's the Seattle International Auto Show. This comes just yeah. before the L.A. Auto Show, which everybody will be heading right. to next week. But yep, um, w- what's um what's exciting, what's compelling about this show? If I'm an average person who just kind of likes cars, or if I'm in the market, why do I head down to CenturyLink to uh, to head into this auto show?
1: Well, there's there's 500 different cars here. Um, 75 of them you can actually test drive. So if you've ever wanted to test drive a Wrangler or the new Jeep Gladiator pickup truck, uh, those are available to Test drive. I mean, and those are somewhat hard to find. Um, and uh, electric cars, you can test drive uh, either a Chevy Bolt EV if you're thinking about getting into the electric car scene, or a Jaguar I-Pace. Um, and uh, there's even an e-Type that I've been hearing uh, running around the, the uh, area because uh, it sounds so so good. Uh, but the other thing is, is that. Um, You know how it is, Vinny. People will always ask us for advice on cars. Um, And my advice has always been, if there's an auto show, go there because it's the world's best place to do any sort of research. Um, You will see things that you wouldn't see because you're not going to drive from dealership to dealership to dealership. You can get in the cars, Everything's fresh in your mind. It's really a terrific place. To do research. On top of the fact, there are cars here that you can't even buy yet, um, like the new Toyota Highlander, the next generation. That's not going to be in dealerships for at least a couple months. Is here the new uh, Cadillac CT5, is here their high performance sedan. Um, the uh, the uh, Ford Mustang Shelby Cobra GT500, over 700 horsepower, is here. Um, so. You know, all of these things are here to look at. It's a, it's a great resource,
0: right? So if you're if you're shopping or you're just a car fan, there's something there for everybody. Which I, it's what I always think is cool about the uh, the auto shows, especially the Seattle Auto Show, because it also has um, a lot of experiences for kids, a lot of experiences for people who aren't necessarily in the market for a car, but want but you know have that casual interest, especially uh, you know if you're going to bring the kids it's yeah. there's a, a bunch of excellent things that they can do with, like, uh, what is it, virtual reality and all that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, um, there are simulators, uh, Hyundai and Ford, right off the top of my head. They have, uh, like, racing simulators that you can do. But the really small ones. Um, and, you know, you're going to want to bring them because you want to see if they can get in the car easily or anything like that. Um, they've got those little power wheel things that I always wished I could have had as a kid. Um, and they can drive those around, and there's face painting, and there's, uh, there's uh, uh, a scavenger hunt uh, with prizes and stuff. Uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of stuff for everybody to do. Plus, there's this new section that has, like, camping gear, um, so you can talk to experts from Yakima and Thule and all those people. Um, and you can find out how to actually outfit your car properly to show your bikes on and your camping gear, all that kind of stuff. It's it's a neat show. They've done a good job this year,
0: and it's one of the big um, things, big segments of the market yeah. that is growing and growing and growing. We see more and more manufacturers, OEMs, including different types of camping kits, tents, and racks, and so on and so forth, on their right. cars. Uh, to I uh, know you know you saw it down at SEMA last week, uh, uh, all the different things. Uh, to give people not just an experience of driving the car back and forth to work, but to be, make you be able to take that car up to the top of a mountain or on a yeah. camping trip or so on and so forth and really uh, turn that car into um, not just an appliance, but to something to enjoy uh, the experience of owning a car with? Yeah,
1: Um and the thing is, um, you and I get to drive these vehicles in you know their natural habitat. So we've gone to Mudfest, which is the SUV of the Year contest. So we realize that a Subaru Forester, um, even a Honda CRV, can actually go off road. And if you outfit it properly, uh, you can get your bikes there. Um, you can get your camping gear up to the trailhead on even a fairly rough, rugged Forest Service road. Um, so it's It's really good to have the right tools, um, and you can figure that out here.
0: And to think that the Pontiac Aztec was so far ahead of its time, huh?
1: Yeah, you know, um, I actually have always said that, you know, sometimes the problem with General Motors is that they get so far ahead of themselves that people don't realize it yet. But, yeah, I mean, the Aztec, I mean, as controversial as it is, was one of those vehicles that was exactly what people wanted. It was an all-wheel-drive crossover.
0: Yeah, and it had a tent, and you could go camping in it. You could do... What? Yep. I mean, it was really I I don't want to say a car you could live in, because there are people living in their cars, obviously, that don't want to be, yeah, but yeah. certainly a car that you could take on a trip and... Uh, and, and enjoy the experience of uh, of sleeping in that car for a few days. And uh, you know, it's funny. I was just writing the uh, review for the the Jeep Gladiator pickup, and my uh-huh. advice to people, and, and it'll come up later in the show, was that you know, if you get one of these things, get a couple of sleeping bags, go up and on the highest mountain you can find, and sleep under the stars for a couple of days. Uh, yeah, really a, a growing segment. Tom Volk is with us from the Seattle Auto Show. And um, uh, I know we got to let you go here in a second, but quickly, Tom, electrics, alternative fuel vehicles, uh, environmentally conscious vehicles, I'm sure that a lot of people in Seattle are looking for that type of vehicle, um, and they can find them at the show?
1: Yeah. In fact, there's actually a special section from Puget Sound Energy called the Electric Highway, um, and they have a bunch of them there. And let me just say that I know everybody talks about electric vehicles being for the environment and all. But uh, the reality is, is that these days they're coming down in price. The range is so much higher. The Chevrolet EV uh, Bolt um, can now go some 250 miles on a charge. So there really isn't any range anxiety. And um, it really becomes actually a convenience factor because you don't have to do oil changes. You don't have to go to the gas station. Uh, you don't have to do the brakes as much because you stop using regenerative power from the uh, the electric motors. So in, in so many ways, they're actually better for people because they're much more convenient.
0: Tom, it's good to catch up with you, man. I will uh, hopefully see you in person in the near future. And it's uh, yeah, always be a pleasure to spend some time with you.
1: Okay. Take care, Vinny. All right.
0: Take care of yourself. There goes Tom Volk. He is... Uh, He's the spokesman for the Seattle International Auto Show that's presented by BECU. Uh, It is at the CenturyLink Field Event Center, uh, November 14th to 17th, so it's on right now. You can buy tickets online at seattleautoshow.com. And uh, if you're in the market for a car, you're thinking about a good place to go and see things, at the very least, see things side by side and experience and test drive, as Tom said Some of those cars that you might not be able to uh, get into a dealership uh, to drive. I think it's going to be tough to go to a dealership and drive a Gladiator pickup right now. But if you go to the auto show, you uh, probably, if you uh, sign up, be able to drive one for a couple of minutes. At least get a feel of what that's like if you are in the market for a pickup. Okay, Ford versus Ferrari is I believe, if I'm not mistaken, already the number one movie of the weekend. It's uh, Everybody's talking about this great accomplishment uh, that happened in the mid-'60s. Christian Bale uh, uh, Matt Damon in this movie, and uh, a spectacular, spectacular movie. Coming up in the next segment, we will speak to a gentleman who worked on Those GT cars who was uh, with Ford and a member of Ford Performance was there and witnessed the entire thing from the failures to the accomplishments. Mose Nolan joins us next here on uh, Drive Time on uh, Alternative Talk 1150 KKNW.
2: You're searching for that perfect gift for the college-bound kit in your life, the Car Care Council suggests putting together a roadside emergency kit. An inexpensive roadside kit is easy to assemble and could be extremely useful, maybe even a lifesaver in the event of an emergency. Of course, it's always a good idea to be prepared for the unexpected while on the road, but the best option is to avoid breakdowns and car trouble wherever possible. Performing basic maintenance and observing a regular service schedule can help avoid unforeseen road emergencies. Roadside emergency items can fit into a small duffel bag or rubber storage tote and include the following. Jumper cables, emergency flares, flashlight and batteries, blankets and extra clothes, non-perishable snacks and bottled water, first aid kit including essential medications, portable USB charger to keep the cell phone running even if the car isn't, ice scraper, snow brush, and small shovel for winter driving. And finally, keep a copy of the Car Care Guide, available free of charge at carcare.org. Visit the Car Care Council's website to access a number of tips and resources for vehicle maintenance, including a free custom service schedule.
1: Be sure to support the sponsors of your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150.
0: You're listening to Drive Time Radio with New York Vinny. I'm back with you here on Drive Time Radio. New York Vinny hanging out with you. It is a Saturday morning. Thank you for uh, grabbing a cup of coffee. It's the radio version of Cars and Coffee, if you will. Here we get a chance now to spend a few minutes with uh, a man whose name has uh, has come up so much over the last few weeks, uh, especially with this movie coming out, uh, Ford vs. Ferrari. He lived it, he was there, he saw it, he rubbed elbows and turned wrenches with uh, guys like Carroll Shelby and uh, the people that were involved in the effort by the Ford Motor Company to knock Ferrari off of its perch back in the middle 60s and thereby um, exciting America, I think, about what was possible, not just in stock cars at Daytona, or on the drag strip with the NHRA, and at the time the AHRA, but also at the Formula One level, which was uh, not uh, so much an American style of racing as a European style of racing. Mose Nolan joins us, longtime employee of the Ford Motor Company. Mr. Nolan, good morning. How are you? Good morning, uh,
3: Mike. We're doing fine here in Dearborn. Good. good. You out of the snow already? Well, uh, we've got plenty of it. We got an early blast here uh, a few days ago, but uh, uh, the good Lord has put the sunshine on us and start to take
0: it away. There you go. See, now you'll be able to to roll that, that Mustang out of the garage real soon and take it back out in the snow. You <laughs> I, you were there, I hope- huh? I mean, you really, it's its amazing to me that that you – are the, the the living embodiment of somebody who was there and watched this entire thing unfold as an employee of a Ford Motor Company, as one of the people who were so involved with the program? I, explain to to our audience a little bit about how you got how you got to work on the GT cars that eventually knocked Ferrari off.
3: Well, and. Um 1955, uh, Ford hired me as an experimental mechanic in their experimental engine build area. And at that time, we were working on uh, pre-production engines for testing to go into the uh, production cars. We worked uh, about five years in advance of the the showroom. And as uh, time went on and they got acquainted with uh, uh, my skills, anyway, I'll speak about my skills and the way I handled my uh, assignments. Um, I was steered towards assembling NASCAR engines. At that time, the NASCAR boys uh, took care of the chassis, the racing, and trying to acquire sponsorship. It's kind of a poor boy operation back then. Uh, Ford Engineering furnished all the engines. Uh, we would build. Uh, assemble uh, NASCAR engines, and then uh, um, every Thursday a transporter from the south would come up and drop off a bunch of used engines from the last weekend, take on fresh engines, and uh, the next Thursday we'd just repeat that journey. And uh, that's uh, how I got acquainted with the techniques uh, and uh, the particular precision skills to build race engines. Well, then came along, uh, 1963, they did, Mr. Ford decided to go to Indianapolis, and I was selected to hand-build uh, Indianapolis prototype and test engines. And after that program ended, uh, right at the very end of it, uh, they, uh, they decided they were going to take on the 24-hour uh, Le Mans uh, circuit and uh, asked me to join
0: them. And how how was the, the the thought of of course Ferrari had owned that circuit uh, for years and years and years. What was the the thought among, um, you know the the, the kind of people that were working on these engines and on these cars when uh, Mister Ford said I, I want to knock Ferrari off. I mean it seemed to be a challenge to everybody. But did people look at each other and go Is this, this guy's crazy or what happened?
3: Well, you know a- after after all the trials and tribulations of getting around Indianapolis and winning it with Jimmy Clark and uh, and Colin Chapman's Lotus, uh, we felt like we had a, a good chance at it. And, uh, of course, uh, we might have been a little overzealous because it is a very uh, high visual race and it's very trying for driver and machine to go the 24 hours at that pace. But, Anyway, uh, they set out to do that, and, and I was very fortunate to be one of a, a couple of uh, engine personnel that was put off into a clean room to assemble these engines. So, uh, and, and, and the, prior to that, uh, Le Mans is attempted by some privateers and Allen Mann and our, our little 289, what we call our small block engine. And it was, uh, you know, it was prob- prob- quite problematic in the, in the first few races attempt. And it just wasn't have the brutality to handle the Moson straight for for 24 hours. So the idea come along to, hey, we've got a brute of an engine in a 427 NASCAR engine. Why don't we trade horsepower for durability? So that was uh, the plan in which to modify the NASCAR engine and detune it and uh, get it to where it slipped into the Mark II, Mark IV at that time, and um, go testing. And our confidence began to climb at that time because we really thought what we knew about some test trips at Le Mans with 10 miles that uh, we stood a pretty good chance.
0: Now, and we're talking to Mose Noland uh, from former employee of the Ford Motor Company, who was there when the Ford versus Ferrari thing was actually going on back in the '60s. When you um, when you started hooking up with guys like Carroll Shelby, and I know you guys knew um, um, Holman and Moody from uh, from before. Uh, you know, you'd worked with them. Did you all guys? Everybody get in a big room and talk about how this was going to happen, or did it just kind of organically happen? Uh, how was it when Shelby came on board with this project?
3: Well, um, most of us motorheads were familiar what uh, Shelby was doing and what he could do, you know, and we kind of thought that he was, at that time he was cream of the crop, and and we really cheered uh, the relationship that was growing between them. So we thought that well. If he can handle the car, we'll do our very best in giving him horsepower, torque, and durability to to get it around. And of course, the Shelby team uh, was just excellent boys to work with. And it was also uh, kind of exciting to think that we were going to work with them shoulder to shoulder. So uh, it resulted in a good race relationship, and we prepared ourselves for go over there and uh, achieve that victory.
0: Now, um, what was what was the atmosphere like in those days around the track? I know today it's so different. Uh, our lives, everything has become so sanitized. In those days, it was um, it was basically you could take a piece of bailing wire, literally, and hold something together and send a car out on the track.
3: Well, <laughs> that was the way it was in early NASCAR days and, and any racing prior to that, but. Uh that we, we knew that we had to uh, select our best materials and use our best machine finishes and our best test methods if we were going to participate in that arena, the arena of Le Mans. That's, uh, we thought that that was the ultimate test on mans and machine, and, of course, we were focused on making the machine uh, worthy of it.
0: You guys worked hard, obviously, as you look in the uh – the movie uh, and you see the movie obviously was a lot of hard work going on not just with um the drivers and uh the designers and everything like that but all the mechanics and everybody but was it fun i mean was it um was it was it fun back then when you were doing all of this work or did you even realize what was going on well it
3: first of all it, it was it was serious work and and the, i'm not quite sure the movie showed um uh, its viewers the amount of work and the and, and, and intense focus it takes to put together a machine that'll take uh, the 24-hour races and be competitive. But anyway, it's a very exciting movie, and uh, geez, I just, I just hope it's a blockbuster and uh, it goes a long way. But uh, at the time, you know, it, it was a job, a job that we knew that we had to take serious. And there was a few of us there that were dependent on to be there uh, 10, 12 hours a day, uh, no excuses, no sick time and stuff like that. And I was quite willing to do that because I thought that this was quite a privilege to be able to work on uh, a, a program as important as that. That one was.
0: That, that was a great year for Ford. I mean, you guys won Le Mans. You introduced the Mustang to a year and a half earlier and uh, i don't know if a lot of people notice but ford also built the um the um space headquarters in uh in Houston you guys with were with were a contractor one of the major contractors uh and also put that whole thing together that uh, eventually got us to the moon
3: <laughs> yeah it's kind of amazing isn't it uh well uh i know here in dearborn uh, you know what we call ford country uh it was a booming year, and I know that we had our fingers in a lot of pie. But us who, uh, those of us that were uh, assigned to the Le Mans 24-hour program, um, we 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 were narrowly focused on what we had to do and and how we were going to get it done. Uh, we, our confidence was high because we did fare pretty good at Indianapolis, so. Uh, we knew that uh, we we had the techniques, we had the materials, and we had the engineering background uh, to go after that victory.
0: Uh, Where were those engines built? Were they built in Dearborn, or were they Cleveland's, or Windsor's, or where did those engines actually come out of?
3: Well, uh, the material came from all of our engine plants. We've got plants that specialize in blocks and heads. We've got uh, plants that Specialized in connecting rods, uh, crankshafts, and so on. And uh, so they were built, they were assembled in the experimental build area of the engineering area right here in Dearborn, right uh, adjacent to our wonderful Greenfield Village and Henry Ford Museum. We have an engineering building there that has. Turned out such engines, plus the engines for our cars and trucks that went through our showrooms.
0: How much of what you did and what you worked on in those racing engines, and and other stuff too—I mean, not just engines, but brakes and other improvements that you made to those cars—made it into production vehicles.
3: Well, um, I, what, a lot of people don't don't realize that Ford really took their racing serious and. of course when you see the movie it's got quite a bit of Hollywood in it and it doesn't really uh, portray our seriousness uh, the company's seriousness in motorsport but at the all throughout our racing programs whether it's NHRA drag racing or the Baja 1000 or Le Mans or Indy uh, we turn in regular reports on progress of technology especially um, new materials and new machining methods, uh, finer, uh, tighter dimensions on parts, and uh, and anything that will r- uh, assure durability and reduce friction and produce horsepower.
0: What do you um What do you think today when you see a 797 horsepower car that rolls off of a showroom floor and you see the engines? uh today and i'm still staying with internal combustion right now um but obviously now with hybrid and so on and so forth when you look at these engines and you look at the amount of horsepower per cubic inch and uh you know in your day i think it was one to one you were looking to get a horsepower per cubic inch now it looks like they get they're achieving uh you know three and four horsepower per cubic inch what 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 do you think when you see that well uh When you're
3: in the middle of it, you kind of understand uh, your potential of achieving that kind of a gain. Uh, But uh, again, we have to uh, hand our credit to the materials people and uh, the machining, and now we're into, you know, the CAD design and things like that, where you can make a lot of decisions on uh, the right way to do it, and uh, I mean... there's no doubt that the, the, the today's engineer and his computer works a lot faster and more accurately than the slide rule. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, really. Uh, yeah.
0: You had to build the connecting that, I, rods, put them in a watch and break before you could uh, come up with something that 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 worked yeah. right, right? Yeah. And, uh, probably, and, had, uh, no, probably had a box major... outside of the garage door with stuff that you would look at as you were going home saying, I'll never yeah. try that again.
3: Another breakthrough that we... Um, Uh, achieved on uh, the Le Mans program was uh, we come up with a new testing tool. I call it a tool but it it was actually a dynamometer cell but uh, Ken Miles had had done some uh, early testing at Le Mans and while they were there uh, they actually uh, recorded uh, engine uh, positions, uh, uh, operating positions of, you know, throttle and and a lot of the specifics of the drivetrain, they actually recorded on a punch tape. And they had that. Basically, at that time, it was thought that they would plan race strategy because of how the engine performed at certain spots on the track. Well, then our test engineers at dynamometers said, well, geez, you know, with that tape, we should be able to build a a dynamometer that uh, accepts the whole drive line of the race car and and uh, you know turn the switch on Friday night and, and while you're away on the weekend, come back and you you've either run or busted within the twenty four hour period. So um, they hastily put that together. What they did is they took two uh, general electric dynamometers and mounted them on the bed plate, uh, the same distance apart as rear wheels in the race car. And we dropped the whole uh, drivetrain in between that. And then our uh, machine shops and the instrumentation people was hastily fabricating from, basically from three-by-five cards and, and verbal instructions. So mm-hmm. when that thing was uh, put together in a very quick time, uh, we were able to drop a mule on there, what we call a mule engine, and the race car drivetrain and make all the adjustments on these servos and the timers, and uh, they were air-actuated servos that did the shifting, did the clutching, did the braking, did the accelerator uh, to match that uh, that uh, position punch tape. And uh, sure enough, we had a dynamometer that mimicked the engine's requirements on the whole nine-mile circuit of, of that track.
0: And, and for that time, uh, back in the 60s, the middle 60s, that was revolutionary. I mean, nobody had done that before, right? That is correct, and that's we're kind of
3: proud of that because uh, it was immediately recognized how valuable that is in uh, <clears throat> thoroughly testing your, uh, your uh, production uh, engines and other components of the uh, production car.
0: Well, most, it's it's a, such a pleasure to get to talk to you and get to uh, get a little bit of the history of this. Uh, does does the fun of racing come across in this? I haven't seen the movie yet, but does the fun of what was going on then? I know the serious will come across, seriousness will come across, but does the fun of what was going on come across?
3: Oh, uh, certainly. It, uh, like I say, it's a very entertaining um, movie because we have uh, in that movie. Uh, Ford Motor Company had loaned the producer uh, actual film footage. So you're going to see some very exciting race cars and some very exciting racing. And then you're going to see our executives uh, being depicted there uh, uh, and the relationship between uh, Shelby and Ken Miles and different members of Shelby's crew. You're going to see. The relationship between our Ford executives and and those folks, so uh, it it does fill in a lot of gaps for the the for the per- people that are interested in the 24 hour race and what occurred and how it occurred and so on. There's uh, some Hollywood and there's some uh, true story right in there.
0: Mose, it's such a pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you so much for taking. A few minutes out of your Saturday morning to talk to us. We really appreciate it. And, uh, continue good luck. And, uh, and thank you for everything you did to get, uh, Ford into, uh, and America, really, um, you know, in, into the, uh, Le Mans and the Formula One racing scene. It was real. It's really, um, for people who lived through that time like I did, I was a little kid, but I was into racing. It was, a. Uh, it was really, as, it was as big as the moonshot. In 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 automotive circles, when Ford beat Ferrari, most thank you very much.
3: Well, thank you so much for uh, looking in on us. I was honored to uh, to speak with you and uh, your audience. So get out and look at the movie this weekend, and and
0: well, maybe get it
3: an Oscar. Who knows?
0: <laughs> you never know. Most thanks so much. God bless. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Bye now. Take care, Mose Nolan. From four, he's uh, ninety years old. He was, as you heard, he started in nineteen fifty five, working on wrenching Ford engines. He got into the racing division, and he is—he's uh, a legend. He's—he's uh, he, he's been there, and he's one of the few remaining people uh, on this earth that saw it all. Uh, back in the 60s All right when we come back we got the top five for you we still got our road test of the week we'll take a ride in the jeep gladiator this is drive time i'm new york Vinny. stick around much more show to come
1: We're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen.
3: 145 over 92.
2: 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac
1: arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life.
0: A lot of people don't understand including myself, I didn't, now I do. Uh, The impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot.
1: When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org.
0: It's a new life, but I am going to make it better. I'll come back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure.
1: Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Like us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash 1150 KKNW.
0: You're listening to Drive Time Radio with New York Vinny. I'm back with you here on uh, Alternative Talk, 1150 KKNW. New York Vinny with you. It's Drive Time on a saturday morning what a what a great conversation with uh mose noland uh from ford racing and uh, just a a piece of history there if you really if you get a chance uh, to go see this movie we're actually going to do a guy's night out on on um monday night and go to our local theater bunch of us to hang out at the coffee shop and uh, go see that movie and um you know kind of uh i guess i'm going because i'm the guy that remembers the most out of it but uh it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I wish uh, – you, you know, it's funny. I used to pay attention to that stuff, and I had always wanted to, to, to be – that stuff always uh, fascinated me. You know, I, now as a Chevy guy, I don't want to say that to Moe's, but when they built the Chaparral uh, back in the late 60s, it's kind of Chevy's, General Motors' answer to the, um, uh, the Ford GT40 – it was uh, it was really something phenomenal. All right, time now for the top five. Time now for this week's top five.
1: The five things you need to know about cars and car culture this week.
0: Well, we started out with Hyundai. They are set to build the pickup truck. We seem to be talking about a lot of pickup trucks lately, don't we? Now, with Tesla's sports truck headed for November 21st debut, Hyundai, long rumored to be working on a little pickup based on the Santa Fe SUV, announced that they're going to bring that truck to market, and it will be built to their Montgomery, Alabama plant, adding at least 1,100 jobs to that facility that already builds the Santa Fe Sonata and the Elantra, the Santa Cruz concept. First made an appearance at the 2015 Detroit Auto Show. I saw it in person. It was a great-looking truck. It was one of the most talked-about vehicles on display that year. And a lot of analysts believe that the mini pickup segment could be the fastest-growing segment in the automotive world and could be the ticket to bringing new buyers into showrooms uh, because people that wanted that type of truck, that type of car truck, previously had no product uh, Especially these showrooms like Hyundai and Kia uh, and Tesla that didn't have anything to offer a truck buyer. Now they will have that. You'll get to see the Mustang SUV this Sunday night. Ford will roll out their electric Mustang crossover on the Internet this Sunday night at 9. Mustang owner forums are buzzing with many saying that the Mustang is supposed to be a V8 gas-powered two-door coupe. And that's it. That's all. Ford, though, sees this as a chance to keep the Mustang name alive to a whole new generation of car buyers who will be shopping electric in the future. It'll also force car people, like me, to rethink what a sports car really is. Now, don't buy that four-wheel SUV just yet, that four-wheel drive SUV. You still want a car. You like having a car. You like the sedan, the look, the feel of a family car. But because you're living in the Northwest, you want all-wheel drive. Well, Toyota has the answer for you. Starting next spring, America's most popular car, the Toyota Camry, will um, have four-wheel drive, all-wheel drive, as well as the Avalon. They'll be available in that all-wheel drive, utilizing the same system that you find in the RAV4. When you don't need all-wheel drive, the system disconnects the rear axle uh, for better fuel mileage. The Camry, Avalon, and RAV4 also will ride on that Toyota new Global Architecture or TNGA platform, and they say that uh, the trunk floor height is the same as in the front-wheel drive versions, and that's a good thing. Hey, are you like me? Did you play with slot cars when you were a kid? You stood by that track in the hobby shop, or maybe you had one down in your basement? Well, if you were and you want to get back to that, Sotheby's Auction House is selling an exact replica of the Abu Dhabi Formula One track that was built for the uh, the Paddock Club by uh, Slot Mods Raceways in Detroit. It's a custom-built slot car track that was commissioned by Formula One, and uh, it is true to the original design. The 132nd scale has two um, uh, lanes on it, and it's been used by patrons of the Formula One Paddock Club, and you can race against uh, each other at one time. The track has built-in electronic lap timing, on-track cameras, and I tell you, you can have a lot of fun with this. Uh, Slot Mods builds great tracks. It's mostly wood. It's on the Sotheby's site. Each track uh, is took about three to six months to complete. And originally cost over $100,000, depending on the size and detail. Uh, hand-painted fans, uh, race fans, uh, buildings, foliage, lining, circuit, much more. And as I said, it's got the cameras and the timers uh, on the Sotheby's site. It's on there with no reserves. Sotheby's expects there to be... I don't know, twenty dollars to $30,000 is what it's going to go for. If I was a Microsoft or an Amazon person, I sure would want this thing in my basement. And I can sit down there and when uh, Abu Dhabi comes on, you can watch it on TV and you can race your friends at the same time. Talk about cars and coffee. You can have uh, cars and coffee and Baileys while you're racing those cars. I used to go racing. There used to be a slot car track where West 5 is. In Seattle, West Seattle, that used to be a slot car track for the longest time, and I used to go there all the time and race uh, slot cars. I loved it. I'm sure there's still a couple of them around in the area, but uh, who knows? Maybe that'll be that'll be something will be making a comeback. And finally, the top five: the shopping experience. How much does it matter when you buy a car? The J.D. Power rankings were out. Uh, As far as satisfying sales experiences for new car buyers, the annual report that was released Wednesday for J.D. Power says that Porsche and Buick ranked highest in terms of a satisfying sales experience. Now, those brands have dominated uh, those uh, segments for years. 30,000 buyers who bought or leased a new vehicle uh, this spring A lot more people are shopping on the internet, which means that car dealers have to align themselves with that shopping experience and do things uh, that change the philosophy of dealerships to create a great first impression when you walk into that dealership. uh, The dealer's website matters much more than ever. And um, again, the buying habits shifting away from an in person experience. 90% of the customers will still visit a dealership uh, but will shop uh, much more intensely online for their car but the consumers JD powers find are not quite ready for an Amazon like business model when it comes to purchasing a vehicle they want to look at it in person they want to feel it they want to sit in it and that's something that dealers should keep in mind and of course mesh themselves with, uh, with that philosophy so that the customer is well-served when he walks or she walks into a, um, a showroom. So the, the hot room with the uh, how-do-I-get-you-into-this-car-today line is quickly going to have to disappear because people are getting, uh, getting a little smarter than All right, when we come back, we got the drive-time road test uh, this week. We take a ride in one of the best vehicles I've driven in a long time, the Jeep Rubicon, uh, the Gladiator Rubicon pickup truck. This is a great vehicle. You're going to want to hear about it next on um, Drive Time Radio on 1150 KKNW.
2: If you're searching for that perfect gift for the college-bound kit in your life, the Car Care Council suggests putting together a roadside emergency kit. An inexpensive roadside kit is easy to assemble and could be extremely useful, maybe even a lifesaver in the event of an emergency. Of course, it's always a good idea to be prepared for the unexpected while on the road, but the best option is to avoid breakdowns and car trouble wherever possible performing basic maintenance, and observing a regular service schedule can help avoid unforeseen road emergencies. Roadside emergency items can fit into a small duffel bag or rubber storage tote and include the following. Jumper cables, emergency flares, flashlight and batteries, blankets and extra clothes, non-perishable snacks and bottled water, first aid kit, including essential medications, portable USB charger to keep the cell phone running even if the car isn't, ice scraper, snow brush, and small shovel for winter driving. And finally, keep a copy of the Car Care Guide, available free of charge at carcare.org. Visit the Car Care Council's website to access a number of tips and resources for vehicle maintenance, including a free custom service schedule.
1: Giving local voices a chance to shine. Alternative Talk, 1150.
0: As we move on through uh, this show, we're going to have a car song of the week for you that we will play. We're just so packed up with stuff today uh, that we didn't get a chance to, uh, won't get a chance to do it today, but uh, in the future, we'll even have a top five or top ten car song list that if you go to my website at drivetime-radio.com, you will be able to find. By the way, we do have... uh, Sponsorships open on Drive Time as well. If you want to um, participate in this radio program, Drive Time Radio and our website and so on and so forth, uh, um, Vinnie at drivetime radio.com is the way you can email me. Or if you have any comments or suggestions about the show, uh, you can do it right there. And uh, you can like us on Facebook at Drive Time Radio and TV. And find me personally at uh, NYVinnie, and find us on Twitter at uh, NYVinnie as well, N-Y-V-I-N-N-I-E. All right, time now for the test. The Drive Time Radio Road Test. Every week, Vinnie puts another car through its paces and lets you know the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, this week we get rough and tough on the test in the hottest little pickup truck around the jeep gladiator now this may be the most anticipated pickup of the century jeep fans jeep clubs even kids who wanted to freshen up their tonka toys were all waiting for the gladiator the first jeep pickup truck since uh, back in 1992 and i'm here to tell you that jeep did not disappoint with this one now from the outside the jeep looks like um, a jeep i mean you, you know it's a jeep right it's got the iconic front the big massive front bumpers, the rear taillights that you expect, the Gladiator is straight up cheap. The model I drove, which was the Rubicon, had a removable top and doors, and it was a a, a bit of a a thing to get the whole top stripped off and the doors off and everything, and the mirrors attached to the door, so you're not going to have mirrors. But when you take the doors off, you take the top off, you put the windshield down, I haven't driven anything. It's been more fun since I drove my uh, my old man's um, Volkswagen chassis around the neighborhood. It had no, no no doors, no fenders, no roof, no nothing, just a couple of seats and a Volkswagen motor. It was automotive heaven. And on a hot summer night, you're driving that Jeep around. It was beautiful. I'll tell you what, if you do get a chance to get one of these things, drive one, grab your sleeping bag, and head up to the top of a mountain on a clear night. Lay your sleeping bag out in a five-foot bed. You'll have to put the tailgate down to uh, so you don't fall off the end. And fall asleep watching shooting stars. That's about as close as we can get these days to being a cowboy, I think. Interior is roomy enough for five adults with a king-of-the-road driver's perspective. You sit up nice and high. Materials are nice soft but rugged and very well done especially if you go for the upper trim levels which include a large screen for infotainment and durable but beautiful cloth materials you can also as a tribute and nod to your off-roading which this vehicle is so capable of doing wash it out with a hose now mechanically the gladiator gets a v6 that cranks out 285 horsepower it's the same engine as found in the wrangler is adequately powerful for most driving situations, including towing and hauling. It doesn't have the oomph. I mean, it's not a hot rod, this car. I mean, you know, some people say, well, it, it lacks the energetic feel. But it's not a hot rod. It's made to go cruising along, go off the road, go up a hill, go hunting, go fishing, go all of the places that you wouldn't take any other car. That's what this Jeep does, and it allows you to do it in a little bit of style. I when to pick up. As of this writing that uh, v6 is the only engine option but there is a turbocharged v6 eco diesel coming down the train uh coming down the uh, track here a little later in the model the year now jeeps are known of course as we have said for their off-road ability the gladiator is uh, right there with it. it you really do feel the wrangler in this thing it's got a longer wheelbase so it doesn't, um, you know, you you still have to keep your eyes open when you're off road because of the longer wheelbase. But it has so many different um, uh, things that they have put in it from uh, all of the different uh, four wheel drive command track systems, uh, the Rock Track heavy duty four wheel drive system, which has a, a bigger four low mode. And, of course, uh, of dynamic functioning on four-wheel drive tow or as a rock crawling mode. Um, the limited slip differential comes in a non-Rubicon, uh, but if you get the Rubicon, you get all of the good stuff. Sway bars that disconnect uh, at the flick of a switch, 10 inches of ground clearance. Uh, the Gladiator can tow up to 7,650 pounds, and it's got a 1,600-pound payload um, it's you know listen. It's not a full-size pickup for heavy-duty towing and hauling, but you're going to get the job done. It uh, uh, with this uh, with this Gladiator, as long as you don't go over 5,000 pounds uh, of a payload. So that's that's pretty much what you uh, what you have there. Uh, you know it starts to strain a little when you get over that. But it is uh, again um, you know a spectacularly mechanical. specimen as well it has all of the skid plates and everything on the bottom to take you uh deep deep off road the gladiator gets 17 miles per gallon in the city and you get 22 miles per gallon on the highway not great ratings for the uh that that class but really When you go back and you think about it, I don't know that there's anything in that class. The closest thing you you may come to is the uh, Toyota Tacoma pickup. That seems to have been the favorite of off-road people, but this is a shorter wheelbase and, I think, a different kind of vehicle. Um, Now, the new Ford Bronco that's coming out will probably give the Jeep uh, a run for its money at some point. But I don't think you're going to see a pickup version of the Bronco anytime soon unless you buy uh, a Ranger. You can buy these things in ranges from um, with different packages from $36,000 all the way up to the um, the one that I drove. Uh, came in at about $54,000. Uh, pretty well equipped. I mean, it had a ton of of uh, of equipment on it and uh, i took it on a long trip and it was a spectacular vehicle to do that with uh, again with the top on and with the top off so you have to take a look at the different editions of it uh, no safety rating on the jeep yet and as i said it gets uh, uh the mileage figures are uh, a little at the low end of the spectrum when it comes to these vehicles 17 in the city 22 on the highway uh but again for you know most of the rivals have four-cylinder engines you get the v6 in the uh in the gladiator and also cargo space the five-foot bed gives you uh enough back there to put whatever you need to put back there you drop the tailgate down or you have the option of moving the uh Rear seats around. You can fit probably much of whatever you're going to haul from Costco or from Home Depot in the back of that thing. The Jeep also comes with a three-year, 36,000-mile basic warranty and a five-year, 60,000-mile powertrain warranty. I love this vehicle. I have waited. I got to drive it for the first time at Mudfest in Oregon, our uh, Nawapa. Event that we hold every year to test out the different um, uh, off-road vehicles, and it's shown. It did so many things that uh, you needed it to do going over uh, different types of hills, mud, water, you name it. Uh, the Gladiator ate it up. It was really a spectacular vehicle to drive It has all of the available safety features that you think about. Blind spot monitoring, rear cross traffic alert, rear parking sensors, uh, cruise control, forward collision warning, and all of that. Automatic emergency braking. But when you have the gladiator, you're not going to worry about that kind of stuff. You're going to get in this vehicle, and you're going to drive off somewhere. And even if you're not driving off somewhere, you're going to wind up wanting to drive off somewhere. uh, Take the kids, take the wife, or a husband, and go for a nice ride somewhere and get away from the cell phones to computers, the radio the television, and just enjoy nature. That's one of the best things that the Jeep does, is to be able to let you enjoy nature. That is our drive time uh, road test for this week. Next week, we'll take a ride in the BMW. By the way, the Jeep does make our uh, list of cars we don't want to give back at the end of the year. We'll uh, award... Our uh, our car of the year award, really, which is the car that I most did not want to give back of all the cars that I road tested this year. All right, that looks like it's about to put this uh, at this point. This show goes fast. I mean, I can talk, you know you know me, I can talk for an hour with uh, no sweat. But it has been a a, a fast moving, great show. Thank you to Tom Volk for making everything happen at the auto show, to Miles Nolan, to Michael back at the studio, and for uh, everybody who made this show what it is uh, this week, hopefully enjoyable to listen to. Catch us online at uh, drivetime-radio.com, and I will see you next week at 8 o'clock on Saturday morning if the Lord's willing the Creek doesn't rise, right here on 1150 KKNW.